Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. My guest today is a wonderful friend of the show and a return guest. We spoke to her last spring about leadership in the time of COVID. Little did we know that we would still be talking about COVID over a year later. She is a very accomplished author, executive coach, and thought leader who is here to talk with us about the Promotability Index Leadership Self-Assessment Tool, which she developed last year, as well as the PI Guidebook, which accompanies the Promotability Index. It is such a pleasure to welcome Amy Barnard Bond back to the show. Amy is an author, executive coach, strategic advisor, and keynote speaker who specializes in accelerating the success of compliance and legal executives. Amy previously shaped company culture and strategic initiatives as an executive at companies such as McKesson and Allianz. A former Fortune Global 50 executive, Amy has been a consultant to the C-suite and leaders at global companies like Bank of the West, Adobe, and The Gap. Recognized by Forbes as one of the top coaches for legal and compliance executives, she is a member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. Amy guest lectures at Stanford and UC Berkeley, is a contributor to Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Compliance Week, and is a fellow at the Harvard Institute of Coaching. Amy earned her law degree from Georgetown University Law Center and her BA in English from Tufts, and is an active member of the California State Bar. A lifelong diversity advocate, Amy testified in multiple legislative committees on the successful passage of California's SB 826, which is the first law in the U.S. requiring corporate boards to include women. It is my pleasure to welcome Amy Barnard Bond back to the show. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Me too. I just, I can't believe it's been over a year since we last chatted and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So we spoke about a year ago when we were in the beginning stages of COVID and it has been such a big year for you. Why don't we start our conversation by familiarizing our listeners who may not know you by telling us about your background and what you set out to accomplish with Barnard Bond coaching and consulting, making the switch from working in the C-suite to consulting. Sure. Thank you. I'd be happy to. So I spent about 20 years in Fortune Global 50 organizations, and I worked my way up to senior executive roles like chief compliance officer, chief administrative officer, and chief human resources officer. And in the C-suite, the best way to be a revered leader and to successfully drive business strategy is to build healthy workplace cultures, in in my opinion. And so in my leadership roles, I always hired an executive coach to support my work. And so I knew the exponential benefits that I got out of that partnership. And so I founded my leadership consultancy around a mission to help organizations create those healthy workplace cultures. And so now I support executives and their teams in overcoming potential blind spots, more effectively serving their stakeholders, reaching full leadership potential, and hopefully making leadership a little more effortless and ultimately happier. And to do this in a way where employees thrive, leaders need to progress to 
really a higher level of performance, Tina, so that teams are engaged and motivated to do their best work. So I know that we're going to really peel this onion over the next hour, but you know, just sort of executive summary, how is your approach to this maybe a bit different than other people's? Well, I would say having been in the executive roles, I have walked in the shoes of my clients. And I find that that's extremely helpful. I also went and got my graduate coaching certification. So there is a methodology around changing behaviors because really coaching is about change. It's about something's not working or you want something to be better. And so you realize it's hard to do on your own. We usually have certain reasons for doing what we do, Tina. It's gotten us where we were, right? Right. Um, my One of my mentors and favorite people in the world, Marshall Goldsmith, has a, a very famous book and a great saying that what got you here won't get you there. And it's really true. And so people just like when you hire a fitness coach, you probably put in a few extra <laughs> reps. It's right. the same thing with hiring an executive coach is, you know, it's my job to act as both a, a, an appreciative and reflective mirror of what's happening, as well as to help hold my clients accountable to what they say they would like to work on and to help them identify and expose any blind spots, which can really come up, especially the higher you go, the higher you go, the quieter it gets because people are afraid to talk to you. They're not going to give you direct feedback. If you are determining their compensation and their projects and whether they get promoted, it's, it's scary for them. It's dangerous potentially, right? It's a risk. So coaches, as coaches, we can get that information and create a psychologically safe space through private um, interviews that are anonymized and aggregated, and then working with the leader. And of course, any leader that gets a coach is also doing a wonderful thing, in my opinion, in terms of setting the example for their entire downstream organization on, you know, I want to get better. Everyone can get better. I'm working on this. And let's create a great safe space for having a language to give each other feedback. It's a real opportunity to open open that up and get away with a lot of, you know, dysfunction or politics or just discomfort around having honest and and kind. And I would never advise anyone to be unkind. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's there's a way to give feedback that's effective where people can hear you, and then there are ways that are less effective. Yes. And um, having been in the workforce now for almost 30 years in the, in big law, you know, what you just said really particularly resonates with me. And I I look forward to exploring that more as, as we, as we talk, but so it has been a very big year for you. We last spoke last spring and we talked about leadership in the time of COVID. What have you been up to this past year since we last connected? I wrote a book. Yeah. (laughs) You did a little thing known as writing a book. (laughs) Well, it seemed like a good time since we couldn't, you know, we weren't running around on airplanes, right? So it, uh, I had time and I had launched an assessment, a leadership self-assessment called the Promotability Index back in early uh, 20 in January, 2020, before, at least before I knew, uh, what kind of year we were going to have last year. And it got really popular. It's an 82 question free self-assessment that anyone can take. Uh, you can text promote me all one word to four, four, two, two, two. If you're in the United States, 
to get it and download it and take it. And I want to give people a way, Tina, to assess their strengths and their opportunities. And what I couldn't have predicted, but was a real blessing was that last year was so difficult for people, including myself, in terms of the level of change, just managing, you know, missing being with people. Some people had serious health issues, financial concerns, you name it, right? And so what I found is that the assessment became extremely popular because it gave people back control, a feeling of control over what they could do to advance their careers in a time that seemed a little shaky for them. And for leaders and organizations that adopted the Promotability Index, I have a case study on my website, for example, of a credit union that adopted it as part of their performance management process because they were feeling it too. They thought, gosh, how do we keep our sense of community? How do we connect as a group and help our employees feel valued and help them develop? And so this was also a way that leaders can cascade this in their organization so they have a shared language around who gets promoted and, and why? And what are ways you can keep growing and what, what are feedback areas that might be a potential good conversation to have early rather than later so that people really know where they stand? Well, and I took the self-assessment and I, I highly recommend that our listeners take you up on your generous offer to take it for free because it really is a very user-friendly way to, you know, not just get a score, but to really think about the answers to the very provocative questions you ask and, you know, really think about once, you know, and it's instantaneous, right? You fill it out, you get it and you get get all this information. The guidebook, which we'll talk about in a minute is a really important piece to the whole paradigm, so to speak. But um, I really encourage all our listeners to do it. And I guess the question I've got for you is, it's a wonderful tool. Who should use it? And how have you seen it since you developed it last year? How have you seen it make a difference in the workplaces of those people who have taken it? Sure. Well, it's for anyone who in any industry, anywhere along their career path, and that includes the CEO, all the way down to an entry level, someone just coming out of college to discover how their skills stack up against the five elements of promotability that I identified from all of my work in hiring and doing riffs and you know going through all kinds of business cycles and building teams. The five key elements of promotability are self-awareness, external awareness, strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. And they interrelate and overlap a little and build on each other Um, And to some degree, they're put in order of how you would approach it, uh, whether you're early in your career versus late in your career. For example, Tina, if you're super senior in your career, your thought leadership is going to be more important than if you're just starting out because you're not going to have as much to write about or talk about when you're a baby in your career, right? But when you're a thought, when you're a senior person and you might want to get a corporate board seat or you might want to make partner you know, those types of activities in your professional industry and organizations are going to be a lot more important, both for your organization, as well as for you individually to be thought of as someone who really knows what they're talking about. Well, and I would imagine that thought leadership, I mean, that's a multifaceted, you know, topic and discussion in and of itself. And I think the way that you have framed the factors is really important and they make intuitive sense to me having 
been a practicing lawyer for almost 30 years and having just done a lot in the course of my career and having had leadership positions, I really do think that you have framed the conversation very effectively. And I think thought leadership means different things at different times in people's careers. I mean, in some ways it could mean, you know, earlier in your career, you developing a niche or an expertise that maybe other people on your team don't have and sharing your knowledge and your expertise with other folks. And later on in your career, as you become more established and have more of a profile in the community, that thought leadership can look very different. It could be much more external rather than internal. That's a great point. Yeah. I I think there's always something you can do in any one of these five categories. And that's another approach I took with the promotability index. I feel that having been a chief HR person, as, as well as being a lawyer, a lot of performance evaluations don't feel so good afterwards, right? And I wanted to help invoke the creative, all of our creative side for people who want to get ahead and who are excited about growth. I wanted to get that energy back and for leaders to make it a positive conversation. And so the way the guidebook is written and the guidebook was, so I, it's really a tool, a two-part toolkit, promotability index, it's the assessment. And then um, if you want to take it further and then, and then improve the areas that you've identified in the assessment that need work then the guidebook helps you with that. It's a it's a step-by-step guide really to goal setting and obstacles and strengths and identifying those. And then it has different chapters on each of the five key elements with over 30 exercises to help you improve in each one. While it's it can be viewed as a very linear process, I love the fact, and I designed it so that you could pick it up in the middle, you could start at the back, you could flip through, Um, because I think that's more how careers really work. They're not necessarily always linear for some people they are, but more and more, you know, I think the average now Tina isn't like seven or nine jobs, maybe even more, you know, in a lifetime. And so that's a lot of change. It is a lot. That's, that's a lot of different cultures that you need to get to know. So what may work in one culture, you may realize, well, I thought I was doing great with my stakeholders in this culture, but boy, this new culture, I need to get to work. So that's why the the PI, as I call it for short, the Promotability Index is helpful. And what I've seen now, which is fun, is it's been out long enough for people to take it again. And if if you work on your stuff, um, you know, diligently for nine to 12 months and you take it again, you you find you you improve in certain areas. And there may be other areas then that attract you. You say, oh, I want to work on this next. This is exciting for me now that I've nailed this one. And a very powerful way to do it as well is to do it either with your boss, because that's a good way to assess whether your self-perception of how you rated yourself on certain things is how they view you. Mm -hmm. And it also then opens up a safe space for them to give you that feedback and a shared language around how to talk about it. You know, you may disagree with their feedback, but better to know the feedback. If they don't think you're a good presenter, for example, that's really important to know, right? Right. And then, because that because presentation skills, we, we may wonder talking about this, but presentation skills are the number one biggest element of executive presence. And the great news is good presentation skills can be learned by anyone. You just have to practice. You're absolutely right. And, and presentation, it's funny, 
some people imagine it's always about a PowerPoint and doing a formal presentation behind a podium. Obviously, things have turned on their head a little bit being in the COVID and um, working remotely the, the times that we're in. But a lot of it is also just the more informal communications and presenting your thought process, trying to get buy-in from your team, yes. buy-in from stakeholders. That's a form of presenting as well. It is. And you're raising a great point of where some of the overlap is. Influence um, is, I think, one of the key things you're mentioning. Having having influence is, is important and gets more and more important, of course, if you decide to manage other people or if you want to be in the C-suite. And then how you manage your interpersonal communications, what's coming across, what's your impact. A lot of that is under external awareness, but there, but there's overlap in each of these because it is so important. So you've mentioned about, you know, how your, your frame of reference and your coaching and your consulting is different because of all the life experience that you've had and your work experience, which is incredibly valuable. If folks are trying to weigh the promotability index self-assessment against maybe some other tools that they've used before, maybe some other personality tests, what have you, how is your promotability index a different kind of assessment from others? Well, it's not a personality assessment. That would be one thing. And it is, it's different because it's self-directed and gives you actionable insights that you can use right away. As a coach, there are many assessments that I'm certified in, whether it's DISC or Hogan or all of the Wiley stuff. I, I do use those with my clients and they're extremely helpful, but this is intended to really clarify the, the career conversation for people and to also focus organizations on who they're promoting and why. I felt that given my experience in companies that very often, and if you've been in the room, Tina, I know you'll probably agree with me, those con- the, con- the big career conversations have that happen around partnership again, or what, or what HR would call the nine box, which mm-hmm. is where, do you, you know, where are you ranked? And, and who's going to get the top bonuses versus the medium bonus versus maybe no bonus. That happens in every company. And I'll tell you that in some companies, there's a really great structure for that and a fair process with, but there's always some subjectivity. And in other companies, there's a lot of subjectivity. And I'll tell one story, um, the company that I worked in when I was in a meeting, you know, your boss presents you and they say, you know, so-and-so's name and everyone, all the executives are sitting around the table and, and they, they bring up your name and they say, this is where they are. This is the kind of year they had. This is how I rated them in their performance review. This is what they, the potential I see. And then everyone either nods, you know, around the table and says, great, we agree. Or someone's, you know, seconds it. Or in this case, the CEO sat back and leaned back in his chair and every all eyes were on him. He was a very big personality. So, so he kind of was the A dog in the room. And he said, you know, I had a really negative experience with this person a couple of weeks ago. And he shared a little bit about it, but I'll mm-hmm. tell you, Tina, it was a very superficial social experience. It was, no, it was nothing that should have impacted what it wound up impacting. 
which was this a this person's reputation in front of the entire executive team and uh no bonus oh and you know you could see the the look on his manager's face who was at the c-suite executive and they were shocked like they were completely unprepared they were they were just they weren't ready and unfortunately didn't advocate back and so I would love for that not to exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those types of, I, I feel like companies really, especially with, if they want to be diverse and inclusive, they need to be able to articulate to employees who are, who are promoted and who are not promoted, how to get there and what, what they're missing. And so this book, the promotability index is, is a step in that direction and no other assessment that I've taken does that. So, you know, you've, you've raised a really good point. And one of the things I've noticed, um, I I've been in the room and been part of a committee decision, for example, on, at my old firm on, um, partnership promotions and things like that. And so, you know, reading huge files about people and the memos that are written and the economics, the metrics by which, their productivity is based and stuff like that. And I have experienced similar things to what you just described, where someone can otherwise have a, a, a pretty, you know, stellar record, but then someone shares an anecdote that really derails the conversation on somebody. Derailing. And yeah. And, and it's really unfortunate because I really wish that there was a more a more effective way for people to essentially, you know, hold like hold the room accountable for when those conversations happen to make sure that what's, and obviously a lot of it depends on who the person is, who's raising the point, right? Because if they're like the most senior dog in the room or alpha dog, so to speak <laughs> in the room, people aren't going to go toe to toe with these folks, right? No, no, they don't. And so that's where culture comes in. That's where, you know, making sure you have a network of sponsorship that people that will speak for you when you're not in the room is so critical. You know, this, the promotability index is really a tool to help reverse engineer how I think promotion should be assessed. And in an ideal world, if you had a good facilitator around those partnership and, and promotion discussions, you would, you know, the way I used to start out was, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this process. We need to use objective criteria. If, if there's a one-off event that should have already been given as feedback to that manager, this is not the place for that, right? This isn't the place for gossip, in other words, or just one little incident you had with this person, that, that kind of thing. And we would also do mini 360s so that managers would have already reached out to the major stakeholders and said, hey, can you tell me what this person should keep, stop, and start doing? Just give me a few bullets. If you'd rather it be a phone conversation, if that's easier for you, pick up the phone, you know, and then that's how I did it. I would aggregate those results. So it wasn't just my opinion of the person, because I also realized that, you know, I might be there, but I might be gone or the person might move to another job. I'm not doing my job as a leader. I don't think if I'm only thinking that it's my opinion that counts because my team is a representation of me. So I also want to know how they're doing. And I want to help them in their career. And so I need to know how they're showing up with different people. And so, again, if you do that pre-work, then hopefully if you have a fair and just culture, you don't have things like we like I, the story I shared happen. You're absolutely right. And those are really, really good points and, and guidelines. 
Um, Switching gears just a a slight bit. So we've talked about the five elements of promotability. You mentioned their self-awareness, external awareness, strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. All really, really important components. Which of these do you think people underestimate the most? That's a great question. I would say that it is external awareness. Um, And I recently published an article with Harvard Business Review called Promotions Aren't Just About Your Skills, They Are About Your Relationships. And as we were just talking about, promotions aren't always fair or rational because when it comes down to promotions, your skills and knowledge and abilities are really just the ticket to the game. And of course you need to be good at at what you do, but it's really the relationships and working with other people that are going to get you that promotion. So it's important to invest in those relationships and understand first, what impact your behavior has on other people. And second, how you're perceived. How are people viewing you? Even if people who may not have that much interaction with you, but who are very powerful people, that's important, right? And you and I just talked about a couple of reasons why. Right. So, so that that's when I had a, a colleague, um, the, the the leader who did my case study actually, who who implemented this with her team when she first took the PI a couple of years ago. She said, "Wow," she said, "All these five elements are important, but I'll tell you now, being in the C-suite." external awareness is the one that will sneak up and kill your career if you're not watching. And I completely agree with her. So do you have an example of a well-known leader who you think best demonstrates maybe that sort of awareness? And it may be something that people haven't even really identified until you really call, you know, named it something, which is external awareness. Sure, sure. I I think that Peter uh, Peter Trucker and Alan Mulally are two really good examples. Alan, some of you may know, is he's the former CEO of Ford and Boeing, and he he's an exceptional leader. He he's credited with turning around Ford um, many years ago, and he possesses all five elements. He's he's a humble man, despite achieving remarkable results, and he did this through bringing out the best in others. And he's written a book about it. And he has a special system around how he, he created peer accountability, very, very much along the lines and values of what you and I've been talking about today, Tina, around, um, you know, holding each other accountable, giving kind, but, but timely and specific feedback on what is or isn't working so that everyone can keep working towards the goal. Very interesting. And so we're actually, winding down the first uh, segment of our time together, but I do want to sneak in one more question before I get your final thoughts. But, you know, I think a lot of people, it's inevitable when we have a conversation about leadership and promotability and managers and so forth, there's always a thought or a conversation around how people get there and the need to have strong mentorship and allies to help people get to that next level. Unfortunately, I think all of us have seen that not all managers that we know are necessarily good mentors or even mentors at all. And so I would love to get your thoughts on how people who may be trying to really improve their trajectory to leadership and promotion how people who may not have a good mentor in their corner, how can they progress to the next level? 
Sure. And I've, I've experienced that in my lifetime as well in terms of having mentors and sometimes not having mentors. And there is a big difference. The PI helps with that. For me, and I, I've had several people who have said, I have no leadership in my, you know, I get these notes from people saying, thank you so much. I am getting nothing from my current organization. So this is making me feel like I can prepare for my next position. And the interesting thing, Tina, too, is when I do workshops and webinars for groups, I did dozens last year for organizations, you know, companies, as well as, as industry associations. At that time, about 60% said they were keeping an eye out for their next job. I know that's that's now all over um, the news with the great work quake or great resignation, as a lot of people have been calling it. Right. But I think some of it's because of not having a mentor, because most most of the time people you know, really leave managers. They don't leave companies. It's usually not about the compensation, usually. And so I would say, number one, if you don't have a good boss that's giving you the feedback you need to get ahead, then you can try to get it yourself from other people. One thing, one of my favorite exercises that's in the PI that is, I think, one of the most powerful is to ask, ideally your boss, but then you can ask peers and coworkers as well, what one thing can I do that would make me more effective in my job? And then the important thing is to stop and listen and pause and give them time, especially if you've got a manager that doesn't normally give you the feedback. I'll tell you, you might be pleasantly surprised. And often people that don't, that aren't chatty or don't, you know, give you great feedback, they often will tell you one thing because you're asking for something somewhat simple and somewhat specific in a way. And if you don't get it from that person, ask, ask your peers, ask other people, and you'll, you'll continue to get what you need to grow. It may not be as great as having a mentor that really has your back and, mm-hmm. you know, is having coffee with you and you know, or virtual coffee and helping you out and saying, you should be thinking about this. You should be thinking about that. But I would also say that the second thing, in addition to you being accountable and having what I call radical self-reliance, which is what I think everyone needs these days for their careers, which means you own your career, you're renting your job. And if you think about that, that you're renting your job, you will approach your career in a very different way. And it's very important to, to get the feedback you need and to also build your network because another way you can get a mentor is by building your network and being helpful to other people. So if you don't currently have a mentor, you can try to earn one mm-hmm. by volunteering for extra projects, by um, understanding what someone else's goals are. If it's a cross-functional matrix organization and you're on a project team, really shine, really help that project team because your word will get around and perhaps the head of that department will become a mentor to you. And that's extremely powerful for all the other reasons. we Having a, a web network in an organization, especially if you're doubling down and you know you want to stay in that organization and you want to rise in the organization, you're going to need a handful, you know, of, of leaders that know you, that know your name, that know what you've helped out on and that see you in a bigger role. This is amazing advice. And I can't wait for us to get to the second part of our conversation. And as we wind down this first segment, do you have any final thoughts and where can our listeners find you? Oh, thank you. Well, I would love for people to take the PI. I've written it in a way that I hope is thought-provoking and inspirational for you. I want it to be a positive experience. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
It's Amy, A-M-I-I. And the last name is Barnard Bond with a hyphen. And then I'm also on uh, Twitter and Instagram, but my, my main place I I hang out professionally and write articles and publish and things is LinkedIn. And then also my website, which is barnardbond.com. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your really busy schedule to join me for our conversation. And I can't wait for part two. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me, Tina. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Amy Barnard Bond, and we hope that you will join us next week for part two of our conversation. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.